Chapter Number Twenty Four of the Border Bandits. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shashank Jakmula. The Border Bandits by J. W. Buell. The Attack on Samuel's Residence. William Pinkerton. A brother of the chief detective was sent to Kansas City immediately with the five of the most trusted men in the force. Upon arriving at that place, the sheriff of Clay County was sent for, after which the twelve citizens of known pluck and reliability were engaged to watch the Samuels' homestead and report from hour to hour by a rapid means of communication which had been established. The greatest secrecy was enjoyed upon all engaged in the undertaking and every possible precaution was taken to prevent any alarm reaching the bandits. On the afternoon of January 25th, Jesse and Frank James were both seen in Yard, fronting the Samuels residence and report of this quickly reached the sheriff and Mr. Pinkerton, who were in liberty. Arrangements were made for the immediate capture of the two bandits, who it was confidently supposed would spend the night in their mother's house. Accordingly, the two officers rode to Kearney late in the afternoon, where they organized a party of twelve men who were to assist them, and preparing several balls of cotton saturated with turpentine and two hand grenades, the well-armed body of men proceeded to the Samuels' residence, which they reached about midnight. A reconnaissance was first made with great care for indications of possible surprise, and after completely surrounding the house, four of the men, with turpentine balls were sent forward to open the attack. A window on the west side of the residence was stealthily approached, but in the act of raising it, an old coloured woman, who had for many years been a house servant in the family, was awakened, and she at once gave the alarm. But the window was forced up, and the two lighted balls were thrown into the room, and as the flames shot upward, threatening destruction to the house and its content, the family were speedily aroused and efforts were made to extinguish the fire. At the moment, every member of the household, consisting of Mr. and Mrs. Samuel, a son eight years of age, and the daughter, Miss Susie, and the old coloured woman, had partially subdued the flames, one of the detectives, or at least one of the party leading the attack, flung a high grenade into the room among the affrighted occupants, and a heavy explosion was the prelude to the dreadful havoc made by that instrument of death. A scream of anguish succeeded the report, and groans from within, without any evidence of the outlaw's presence, convinced the detective and citizen's posse that they had committed a grave and horrible crime. So, without examining the premises further, the party withdrew, apparently with the fear that the inexcusable deed that they had just committed would be avenged speedily if they tarried in the vicinity. When the lamp was lighted by Dr. Samuels, he found his little boy in agonies of death, having received a terrible wound in the side from the exploded shell. Mrs. Samuels' left arm had been shattered and hung helpless by her side, but she forgot her own misfortune in the anguish she suffered at seeing the dying struggles of her little boy. What a terrible night was that memorable 25th of January to the Samuels family. Alone with their dead boy, whom they worshipped, and with the desperately wounded mother, who would certainly have bled to death but for the thoughtfulness of the old coloured servant, who hastily bandaged the arm and staunched the flow of the crimson life current. The funeral of the innocent victim did not take place until the second day after the midnight attack and then Mrs. Samuels, 
who had suffered an amputation of the injured member, was too greatly prostrated to attend and witness the last service over her darling boy. But the remains were accompanied to the grave by a very large body of sympathizing people of the neighborhood. This unfortunate and indefensible attack, for a time, allayed public animosity against the James boys and turned the sympathy of people in western Missouri somewhat in their favor. Those who had been most earnest in their desire to see Jesse and Frank James brought to punishment began to think more lightly of their crimes, attributing them partly, at least, to the manner in which they had been haunted and persecuted. It is a notorious fact that for some times this sentiment predominated in Clay and Jackson counties, and the same feeling extended to the other parts of the state, and, in March, following led to the introduction of Amnesty Bill in the legislature, granting immunity for past offenses committed by Jesse and Frank James, Coleman Younger, James Younger, and Robert Younger. The bill was introduced by General Jeffrey Jones of Callaway County and contained a provisional clause that amnesty would be granted the parties named in the instrument for all offenses committed during the war, provided they would surrender to the lawful authorities and submit to such proceedings as might be brought against them in the several states for crimes charged against them since the war. After a stormy debate, the bill was defeated. Although had it passed, none of the bandits named would have accepted the terms, for surrender meant either execution or life imprisonment. A rejection of the terms of surrender by the legislature afforded a fresh pretext, however, to the bandits to pursue their crimes of blood and pillage, and it was not long before the country was again startled by the daring deeds of the outlaws. End of chapter number 24